This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another AMA. I'm your host, Tom Bilyeu, and I'm going to be answering your questions. And by the way, if you ever want to submit a question, then you can email it to AMA at impacttheory.com. And if you want to remain anonymous, just make that clear. All right, here's the first question. James Michael. Tom, could you further articulate your important things list and how and when you use it If you're an entrepreneur and you decide what your schedule is every day, why isn't everything the entire day on your important things list? Why would you spend any of your working hours doing things that aren't important enough to be on your important things list? So here's the reality. Um, Having an important things list is largely a function of not needing to think about the things that I'm going to do. So I keep the list so that it is exactly the things that um, I want to do typically as close to in order as I can get them so that uh, if I have a spare moment, then I can just immediately go to that list and start working on it. Now, everything that I'm trying to do um, should fall into what I'll call OKRs instead of just important things. So this is a recent development. The company started using OKRs. If you don't know what OKRs are, they're objectives and key results. And you can find some amazing videos online about them. There's also a book called Measure What Matters by John Doerr. Um, And it's just a way of really making sure that, like you said, the things that I'm doing during the day are all feeding into important things. Now, why can't I just guarantee that everything that I'm doing fits into that? Because I have 20 some employees and you get people coming to you all the time. They have questions. They need things. And so routinely I'm helping other, Oh, I can't believe that. That isn't possible. Shame on me for letting alarms go off. My apologies for not checking that. Um, may happen again because I didn't check. Um, so the, with OKRs, it really is going to help me stay on track. And then also just with the sheer number of people that are coming and hitting me up for things, um, it is, often something that I couldn't have anticipated that I need to address to help them to make sure that they're still moving forward. So um, there's some percentage of my time every day that's just allocated to making sure that everybody else in the company, um, at least that would need to speak to me directly if they don't have somebody else that they report to, making sure that they're moving and doing their thing. So yeah, that's just the re- the messy reality is that. But um, I will also say that prior to OKRs, there was way too many times where um, even my important things list was spreading me way too thin and I was aimed at too many different things. So I'm very excited to have OKRs to just keep that level of clarity and making sure that I'm only dealing with the most essential of the essential. Um, so yeah. All right. Sarah 
Deremy Williams. I am a classical violinist in my final year of master's in Netherlands and am basically struggling to work hard and smart simultaneously to get myself closer to becoming a world-class performer. I got massively motivated and got myself into a routine of a six to seven hour a day practice schedule with meditation, walking, affirmations, fasting, and other healthy stuff. However, I burnt out within a few months. I don't know what did it, but a lot of my fears came out. Money, undeserving mentality, poverty, self-esteem, and self-worth, etc. Do you have anything to say on this? I'm aware of my ambition, Yeah, I'm aware of my ambition, but right now I feel like I'm all talk and not strong enough to walk away from mediocrity. And not strong enough to walk away from doing things that make you feel mediocre. Um, So here's the thing. I don't know if this is a function of um, just the questions that come my way because of um, the type of things that I speak on or if we're really having sort of a a worldwide crisis of sorts. I worry that this is bigger than just people submitting this stuff to me in particular. And it really does feel like there's something going on. So I don't know if there's something in the water, but here's um, I feel like there is a pandemic of people that are getting themselves in a twist over not being where they want to be in life. And I have one employee who put himself, this is a true story, who put himself in the emergency room with a panic attack because he felt like he had he had this very specific accomplishment and he wanted to do it by a very specific age. And he feared that he wasn't going to be able to do that by that age. That put him in the hospital. And I just thought, whoa, like, guys, I love ambition more than the next person. And I'm just telling you, like, Anything that you do that erodes yourself, that chips away at yourself, that makes your life less enjoyable, hey, like we need to really, really tread carefully. Now, that does not mean lead a hedonistic life. I think that the truest sense of fulfillment, the the thing that all of us are secretly chasing, comes from doing hard things. But God damn, like you can't beat yourself up over this stuff. You can't allow yourself to get into these negative cycles. So when you start saying negative stuff to yourself, it better be short-term and ultra-motivating. If saying something negative to yourself doesn't make you like riled up and ready to go and I'm going to go attack this, don't do it. Don't do it. Like treat that negativity as what Daniel Amen calls an automatic negative thought, an, an ant. You've got to stop that. You've got to do a pattern interrupt. You may need to dive into cognitive behavioral therapy. You cannot allow yourself. That is the absolute right statement. You cannot allow yourself to get into these negative loops. They're going to pop up. You're going to have negative thoughts about yourself. You're going to struggle with self-worth. You're going to struggle with all of that stuff, but you can't buy into it. You can't allow the mechanisms of your mind to loop around that thing. That's where people get into trouble. It's not like I don't think negative shit about myself. I think negative shit all the time, but just really briefly. And I use that negative thought as a habit loop trigger to think about something powerful. Like here's my go-to. I use this all the time. Don't worry about whether you're good at this or not. You're the learner. You can get good at it. Is this really something that you want to allocate your time to? If it is, then just build that out. Build out that schedule. But don't like freak out that you're not good today. That's what gets people into trouble. If you're practicing seven hours a day, man, I'm telling you, three years from now, you'll be astonished. Five years, your brain is going to melt at how much better you are. And 10 years from now, you'll be completely unrecognizable. Play the long game. Play the long game. Like you've got to know, even like, You know my thing about patience, but don't get hung up on that. Here's the reality. Go ham learning because you enjoy the process. Don't think I need to be here. I need to be this good. I need to be the best ever. Like 
Go in knowing the struggle is guaranteed. The success is not. You may never become the greatest musician of ever. You may never uh, become like whatever fantasy position about being in a Philharmonic or whatever it is. You may never get that position. But do you love playing music? Because if you love playing music, that's the thing to lean into. And when you're doing your meditation, like actually clear your head, get out of the sympathetic nervous system, get out of that anxiety, the fight or flight, get into just being chill and relaxed and fall in love, fall in love with playing the instrument. So look, this is all stuff that I've learned the hard way. I get it. We're all prone to this stuff, but I'm just here to tell you the thing you should be obsessed about is the journey as cheesy as that shit is. And then you need to be obsessed with finding fulfillment, like in your day-to-day activities, which unfortunately is born of doing the hard things. It is facing your inadequacies and it is realizing that this shit takes time to get good. So one, if you are young or two, you're starting something later in life, just get it. You got to clock your 10,000 hours. So don't be panicking at like hour 7,000 that you're not where you want to be. 10,000 is like the sort of general rule for minimum level of mastery. Now, if you really want to be extraordinary, which is when people normally begin to break themselves apart, it's like, yeah, you're really good. And if I compare you to the vast sea of humanity, you're probably better than 99.9% of them. But to get into the elite categories, it's like you're going to have to put your 20,000 hours and your 30,000 hours, which is why you need to love it. You just need to love the pursuit of that thing. And if you don't love the pursuit of that thing, stop pursuing that thing. And then also, If you need to stop being ambitious because being ambitious, having that value is hurting you and moving you backwards, then let go of ambition. Learn to value something else. The value that you should hold above everything, fulfillment. That's it. Because it is such a rad feeling. And it is born of trying to become something. It's born of pursuing a set of skills that you value that not only serve you, but serve other people. That's it. Focus on that. Focus on the getting good. Focus on the people that you're going to be able to serve, whether it's just entertain them with your music or whatever, but focus on that. Like focus on like what a cool moment it would be for somebody to be moved by your music. It doesn't need to be the Philharmonic. It does not need to be 10,000 people out in the stands. It can simply be, I'm going to play music for a seven-year-old and they're going to fucking love it. We'll leave it at that. I could keep going, but I won't. All right. Jeremy Cummings. I just had an incident that was an extreme version of a regular occurrence. I scheduled a first meeting with a business mentor for tomorrow morning. Somehow I woke up in a panic today thinking that the meeting was happening and I was going to be late. I panicked, frantically got dressed, drove half the way there before noticing in the email that I had my days mixed up. After realizing my mistake, I got angry and my worst bad habit flared up. I punched myself in the thighs and punched the car dashboard. It's a mixture of anger and embarrassment and stuff like this constantly happening. It's been a lifelong problem. My ADHD was not diagnosed until I was 24. And even when I use multiple memory safeguards, including meditation and medication, I still have incidents like this regularly. What more can I do to shore up my memory and maintain emotional stability during perceived crisis like these? Okay, so um, first of all, training your memory. Yep, a thousand percent. Like you can do that and you can go check out Jim Quick. I think he has astonishing materials on that. But I have an atrocious memory. It is so bad ironic that I love Jim Quick the most, and yet I do virtually nothing to train my memory, which I think is one of my weaker um, things. But so much of your memory can be outsourced that I just deal with that. And so 
get uh, an alarm system, something where you can set an alarm, train yourself, if nothing else, just to check a list every day. And then also, I think this is really the issue here. Be kind to yourself when you make a mistake. And beating yourself, literally beating yourself up over that is not going to serve you in the long run. Look, I think a good swift kick in the ass, self-administered, is can be, I will say, can be a very good thing. But when you're taking it to an extreme like that, you really have to find a way to back off. So just to like put a fine point on the memory thing, get an alarm system, set alarms, get very good about that, which ironic in this episode that an alarm went off. Um, So yeah, I use that all the time. It will serve you. Be kind to yourself when you forget. Now, the other part is um, the emotional stability. And I think the emotional stability part is the far more interesting part of this, which is a lot of that comes from it's hardwired. You've got this behavioral response pattern that you click over into that rage or whatever, and you need to start using that. You need to recognize the feelings when they're coming. You in this can probably even just recognize the situation. You know when you forget something and it's important that you're going to get really pissed off. And so you need to preemptively practice what you're going to do the next time that you get pissed off. The next time that you have that flare up and want to punch something. You need to practice it over and over and over mentally about how you're going to handle it. And you're going to breathe through it. You're going to relax. You're going to reward yourself for like if normally you flare up and punch your legs and then punch the dashboard, the time that you only punch the dashboard, you're actually going to be like, hey, that was rad. Like you made some progress. That's awesome. And then the next time when you get really pissed off and your face is red and you're angry, but you don't punch anything, you're going to reward yourself for that. And you're going to be like, whoa, you're making progress. This is amazing. Like you've got to give yourself the carrot as much as you give yourself the stick. You cannot just beat yourself up all the time and think you're going to end up somewhere extraordinary. You're going to end up black and blue. You're going to end up frustrated. You're going to end up miserable because all you're doing is focusing on the things you're doing wrong. So you've got to start focusing on the things you're doing right. You've got to be looking at the progress that you're making and you've got to be asking yourself all the time, when I imagine the person that I can become, am I acting in accordance with that person's behavior? Yes or no? And if the answer is no, then you make adjustments as you go along. And that's really the path to getting to emotional stability. Also, um, meditating, spending time doing that, being able to quickly get yourself out of the um, sympathetic nervous system into the parasympathetic nervous system, which there are biological hooks into that breathing from the diaphragm. It is absolutely something that you can practice. Um, And then I just think that we have a value system here. I think that you're um, panicking about what you're going to achieve or accomplish in life. And I don't know if some of this is like an Instagram syndrome or something where um, I, I, it really feels like this shit is ratcheting up. So, on a global scale. So I think that really letting yourself off the hook for whatever vision you have of whatever crazy thing it is that you need to accomplish, it's like it really does come down to, okay, just just say this to yourself. I may never achieve whatever that thing is. And it doesn't really matter because what matters is I'm going to pursue something I care about. I'm going to pursue it with sincerity and intensity because I care about it. And the biggest, most important thing that I could look out for is my emotional and mental well-being. If you start valuing that, prioritizing that, then you can actually love and enjoy your life. And from there, once you have that emotional stability, once you're not beating yourself up, and once you're sinking into being able to enjoy the life that you have today instead of always living for tomorrow, then all of a sudden you've got this really stable base from which to be ambitious. But if you don't first have the ability to self-soothe, to love yourself, to enjoy who you are today, to fall in love with the process of getting better without diminishing yourself, 
if you can't do all of that stuff, then you really never will accomplish it. So the irony is the harder you're chasing this stuff, the more you're going after being like some grand achiever, like the, the more important that is to you, the more that you're going after it, the less likely you are to get it. The great irony of my life is for the first six and a half years that I was just chasing money and I was pouring myself into getting better were some of the worst years of my life. And then once I said, okay, fuck this, not doing that anymore, meaning I'm not going to live a life that makes me miserable on the day-to-day. I'm going to find a way to connect with and enjoy the day-to-day because truly, as Eckhart Tolle will tell you, now is all you have. So if now is always about living for some future thing and that someday I will feel better in the future, it's just misery. So find a way to connect with the now, to value the process, to value it, to prioritize doing something now that makes you proud of who you are and who you're becoming, to find a way to build yourself up instead of just tearing yourself down. Then I think that you'll be able to get the emotional stability that you're looking for. You guys know I have a very strict diet that I stick to, except for very special occasions, and I do that so that I can bring my best every day to what I'm doing, and a big part of that strict diet is high-quality animal protein and my go-to source of trustworthy meats and seafoods with no added hormones or antibiotics ever is ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood all directly to your door. I cannot recommend ButcherBox enough. When you eat ButcherBox, you are giving your body the best possible building blocks to work with so you can reach your full potential. You've got to take care of yourself at a cellular level if you want to hit your peak consistently. So ButcherBox is the key. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash impact and get our special deal. ButcherBox is off Offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. And that means you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash impact and use code impact to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You will never be able to reach your full potential if you are riddled with stress and have a lot weighing on your mind. I can tell you from my own experiences with stress and negative thought loops, you have to find a way to work through whatever it is that's weighing on you if you're going to have any hope of achieving your goals. Therapy can be an option for working through things and for an online therapy option that is super convenient and flexible, be sure to check out BetterHelp. With BetterHelp, everything is 100% online and getting started is quick and easy. A brief questionnaire matches you with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no extra charge. Get things off your chest, process through things with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash impact theory today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash impact theory. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you want to have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to 
make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. Leah S. I'm 17 years old, and one year ago, I adopted the Impact Theory Mindset. Amazing. Started waking up every day at 4.30, read a book per week, anticipated in... Anticipated in a mass? I'm guessing this is participated in a mass of courses and events and succeeded extraordinarily at school. A person who really was a big part of the reasons I started all of this has been a teacher. He meant and means very much to me. As for a couple of reasons, I do not have a real father figure in my life. Somehow I think he substituted this. Now he has lung cancer and is probably going to die. The situation gets worse and worse and worse. At the beginning, it didn't affect my productivity at all, but now I cannot stick to my routines anymore, oversleep almost every day, and somehow cannot cannot feel real joy anymore. It's just as if I have lost the reason for doing things, doing the things that I love in order to achieve my goals. Do you have any counsels? I really want to get a get as self-disciplined as I have been before and do not tie my mentality to circumstances I cannot influence. I think you understand what I mean. I do. So here is the the reality. Losing somebody is absolutely heartbreaking but it's just an excuse to not do those things. And you have to, like, this This is where we earn stripes with ourselves, everybody. It is in the hardest times that you're going to earn that reputation with yourself. And I am not downplaying this. I'm not saying that this isn't a tragedy. I'm not saying that this isn't going to rip your heart out through your fucking throat. But in those moments, those are the moments not to turn to food or drugs, or to lay in bed, or to give up. Those are the moments that you lean in. Those are the moments that you lean into the pain. Those are the moments that you go be with this person, that you share time with them, that you get up so that you can celebrate their life, so that you can connect with them. Or if they're, God forbid, it's somebody that you lose them suddenly. These are the times that you really show yourself who you're becoming. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't give yourself time to mourn and you can carve out some period for that, whether it's a day, whether it's a week, whether it's a month. I would never, ever do more than a month. That is my most aggressive. I'm talking if my wife dies, I'm not saying that I wouldn't continue to mourn her for longer, but I would not lose myself to the morning for more than 30 days under any circumstances. I would never allow myself to do that. So... You at some point you have to draw a line in the sand and say, "Look, this is heartbreaking, but it it doesn't make sense 
to let it become a reason for which I do not pursue things that feed me, that nourish me, that excite me, that get me going where I want to go. So you have to recognize this as you're letting that negative dark cloud, the heartbreak to overtake your life. And it just doesn't make sense. It's one of those things. If it made sense, I would say, yeah, do it 100%. But it does not serve you to give into that. And if you were to talk to this person, they wouldn't want you to do that. So you have to draw that line in the sand and say the person that I want to be would still get up. They would still do these things. They would still push because that's how you live a beautiful and meaningful life. So get after it. Anne, oof, this is not going to be an easy one. Anne, maybe LaRue, LaHeru, something like, oh, wait, it's right here. Pronounced LaRue. Wow, I actually got it right the first time. Amazing. Uh, thank you for sending in the pronunciation. That's incredible. Over the years, what would you do to identify as one of the biggest changes that you made in your eating habits? Was there a change in belief that years ago you may have completely been against but now have come to see as so insanely obviously the best for you? Thanks for all you do. Uh, Love all the podcasts and am loving ButcherBox. Amazing. Those guys have been incredible Um, and I eat them routinely. All right, so... My thoughts on diet have changed so radically. There have been like these epochs in my life where I'm eating one way and I think that it is absolutely right. And then I evolve, learn something new, realize through self-testing, whatever, that actually something else is different. So I went from just completely ignorant in my um, early 20s where I kept a tub of red vine licorice uh, because it was fat-free. And I thought, this is amazing. And I can eat this as basically free calories. Like, none of this matters. I can just eat it all day long. And then I remember somebody saying to me, "Um, I'm pretty sure that sugar, if you eat too much of it, it turns into fat. And I was like, that doesn't even make sense. How on earth Could sugar turn into fat? There's no logic to that. So I just kept eating them. Now, of course, the reality is that's exactly what happens. And it's a process that I at least have uh, a reasonably in-depth understanding of now. So it makes all the sense in the world to me that um, if you're eating sugar and you have the glucose in your bloodstream and your muscle glycogen stores and your liver glycogen stores are already full, then precisely what is going to happen to that glucose is it is going to be shuttled out of the bloodstream into fat cells and um, insulin is going to be pumping through your body and you end up what's known as it's called glycating your tissues um, and some of the sugars bind to proteins and it, it just becomes like this whole mess. And so not only do you start to get overweight, but you can, depending on how much you're eating, you can slide your way to true metabolic syndrome and then ultimately diabetes and all that. So um, I get all of that. So that was um, change number one, realizing that, whoa, carbohydrates actually become glucose in your bloodstream and that even something that doesn't seem like it has sugar actually does become sugar in the bloodstream. That was like my first like, oh my God, my mind is totally blown. So I stopped eating carbohydrates. It was a brutal, painful transition. It took me about three weeks. I was getting all kinds of crazy headaches. And this was like in my mid-20s. I'm probably roughly 26 about this point. Um, And I was starting to get heavy. And that was really freaking me out. So I needed to learn about nutrition. Um, So that was step number one, like this whole low-carb thing. And I responded to it phenomenally. So a lot of this is you have to test on yourself to figure out what's going to work for you. There is so much individual variation. Uh, ability. It is crazy. And we'll get to that because I didn't believe in individual variability for a long time. So I was like, everybody's got to be low carb. That's it. Simple as. And um, I became evangelical about low carb. 
And I just thought that, yep, universally it will work for everybody. Everybody's genetics are just like mine. Like diet is essentially this, um, what works for one person will work for everybody. Okay, so that becomes like the second epoch of my life. And I become, unfortunately, like super um, evangelical about it. I'm telling anybody who will listen because I was losing fat and it was so wonderful for me. Um, And I, you know, want to help people. So I just, yeah, I'm going ham on the whole low carb thing. Then I begin to um, really realize that if I want to get lean, um, that I'm going to need to even start doing... um, caloric restriction. And since fat, and at this point in my life, um, I don't exactly think fat is great. I still have some sort of a a villain complex around fat about getting fat, not necessarily um, some of the things you hear about fat, like clogging arteries and stuff like that. But I certainly thought that it was going to make me fat. So I was avoiding that and that becomes an epoch. And so I start doing ultra high protein, virtually no carb, virtually no fat. And so now I'm living in a state of what they call rabbit starvation, where all you're eating is protein, your cells need fat. So, hey, you start to have all these inflammation problems, which of course I did and unfortunately had them for years. So that becomes another moment. And then after that, I um, go through this um, phase where I'm having all these inflammation problems, but I think I'm doing the right thing. I'm getting ultra shredded on my rabbit starvation. So I was like, this is amazing. Like, I can't believe I've been so disciplined and I've gotten this lean and it was incredible. And then these two guys, Peter Atia and Dom D'Agostino come to Quest and they're like, hey, by the way, um, fat is hugely important. If you're not eating fat, like you're out of your mind. And by the way, it may actually, this whole thing called a ketogenic diet may actually have these anti-cancer anti-cancer properties. And I was like, whoa, you're talking my language now. Here's the guy that wants to live forever. And so I go way hard into keto. I do a four to one diet, meaning for every combined gram of protein and carbohydrate that I ate, I ate four grams of fat. It is brutally difficult to do. And by the way, I was restricting my calories. I got my ketones through the roof. I got my blood glucose way down and I hated it. It was misery. And it was misery because I was experiencing what many people call the keto flu. And that was an absolute nightmare. It's um, basically you're not getting all of the micronutrients that you need. So it was just really, really shitty. I did it all wrong. It was terrible. I would never go and do it the same way. Um, So I go through that phase and I'm like, yeah, I'm never doing keto again. But the effect that it had on my joints was so powerful. I'd been icing my wrist for 15 years, 15 years every day. I had like these permanent little burn marks on my wrist from um, icing all the time. And while I was ketogenic, it completely went away. It was so surreal. It was the first thing that I did that was actually like a drug-like effect. But I was so miserable because of the keto flu and I didn't understand it that I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. But this fat thing, whoa, it is really powerful. And so I stayed high fat. Then I started talking to people about like, hey, you know, I guess I, I had that keto flu, keto sucks. And they're all like, you just did it wrong. And I was like, well, what would doing it right look like? And so it got explained to me. And so I tried it again. And for nine months, I lived in ketosis and it was incredible. I absolutely loved it. I, for, for me, Nothing is universal as I have learned, but for me, it was incredibly powerful. And so cycling in and out of ketosis now has become a real thing for me. In fact, right now I'm in a state of ketosis. It's been phenomenal. Um, I, and I go in and out of that, but I basically live 
in high fat, low carb. Um, and that has served me insanely, insanely well. Now, the reason that I stopped doing the nine months worth of ketosis was I was losing muscle mass. So I did not want to keep doing that. So I find that if I cycle in and out, it's far more effective for me. Um, and that's where you are now. So now where I'm at is I'm high fat, low carb, um, because that works incredibly well for me on a whole host of things from blood markers to my ability to manage hunger, uh, my ability to manage my body weight, my energy levels, my clarity, not needing to um, eat all the time to have just a totally different relationship to food and hunger. Um, and then I also fast. So um, after the Christmas season, because I will eat like a hose beast um, over Christmas, it will be amazing and I will love it. But there are consequences. Uh, I will put on uh, extra fat over the the holiday period. And then my joints will start to hurt because I'm eating uh, more carbo carbohydrates than normal. Um, and I also do a lot of intermittent fasting and I'll still do that even when I'm um, eating poorly. So what I'll end up doing is making sure that I have at least 16 hours without meals. And I find that that stops me from having any GI issues, um, which is phenomenal. So I can have fun food in the evenings, um, but not worry so much. I won't gain as much weight and I won't have um, GI issues if I do it that way. So that's where I'm at now. And the biggest thing that's shifted, I think this probably is the biggest thing, is I no longer believe that there is any universals when it comes to diet. You've got to try it yourself. You've got to see what works for you. Um, in the new year, I'm going to be using a continuous glucose monitor because I think it's so fucking interesting. Um, I want to see exactly how the things that I eat affect my blood sugar. Um, it, it'll be really fascinating to compare because we have so people at Impact Theory eat so differently, like everybody's on something different. Um, and so to be able to see like what affects me and not them. All right, sorry. I found that fun to talk about. So that was probably way too long of an answer. Um, but there it is. All right. Daniel Breeze. On Health Theory, Ken Berry talked about working out before a big meal in order to open up the muscles to use the glucose. My question is, how far in advance can you work out and still achieve this? I.e., I worked out first thing in the morning, but don't have my first meal until four to six hours later. Am I sacrificing a lot of muscle growth? Okay, so... I'm definitely not going to give you a really rad answer for this. I think there are far better people to give you like really technical answers about that window. I will just say this. If you work out, you're depleting the muscle glycogen. And because the muscle glycogen is now empty, whenever you eat your next batch of carbs, which could be six hours later, 10 hours later, a day later, that the first place that's going to go to, it's going to go and refill the glycogen stores in your muscles. So there, it isn't like that window is open and then it closes. Now, there may be an exaggerated benefit more closely um, to the working out. I'm not going to speak to that. I don't understand it well enough to, to give you a compelling answer there. Um, it's intriguing. I want to look at it. But to give you an idea, I'm the same. So I work out uh, fasted, and then I don't end up eating for... I don't know, it's probably three hours, not the four to six that you're talking, but probably three to four hours after, unless I woke up really early. And then it may be eight hours after I ate. Um, so yeah, it, it it isn't that that stuff won't go to your muscles later. But if you're talking about what is the protocol you need to do to maximize your growth, I would say there are far better people to answer that question than I. One person that I would recommend checking out, Ben Greenfield, I think his approach to just life in general is utterly fascinating. Uh, I think he's got a really deep understanding. Rhonda Patrick's probably talked a lot about this. Uh, I'm sure that you can get some really profound answers. You just need to make sure that the people that you're taking advice from do not do steroids. It changes 
everything, which isn't shade at steroids. It just changes the way that the body responds. So you need to, unless you're doing steroids, you need to make sure that you're taking advice from someone who is not. All right, guys. With that, I'm going to bid you farewell. Thank you so much for joining me. If you haven't already, by the way, and this is adding value to you, it would be amazing if you went and wrote a review. That would be incredible. Rate and review on iTunes. That stuff helps more than you can imagine to really get the word out there. Um, Just, yeah, thank you. And thank you guys for your questions, by the way. Submitting that is really, really extraordinary. Really appreciate it. All right, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.